0: Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning, Erev Erev Hanukkah. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good to be with you, especially as we look forward to the Hanukkah week. Oh yeah, that's for sure. And not from a plane this week, from an actual chair in a studio. How do you like that?
1: That's very impressive. I'm glad they let you out eventually.
0: <laughs> we upgraded <laughs> off the air. I'll tell you some of the good stories that happened both during <laughs> and after. All right. Um, first of all, the uh, when you see and and remember, people in this audience are very curious about the answer to this question from your vantage point because if you have this unique uh, task of really dealing with the Jewish world politically, right to left, you know, the entire spectrum. When you see Jewish groups trying to block the nomination of an ambassador to Israel, what do you think?
1: Well, I think that uh, you know we have a policy, a long-standing policy, of not endorsing or opposing candidates for any position. I think it's a good rule for all of those, especially organizations that are tax-exempt. Uh, people can express views about or, or concerns but I think it, it, number one, to give him a chance to um, have the hearing, and there all of these issues can be raised, or any issue can be raised. Uh, the fact that he's close to the president should be seen as an asset because he will have easier access. Uh, he's certainly somebody who's been involved, and knowledgeable, and, and clearly cares about uh, about Israel. The um, you know, I think he would acknowledge that some of the things he said uh, in the heat of the campaign and then the reaction. Uh, are not things that he would say as, a, as an ambassador, and uh, I think may even look for an opportunity to, to clarify the record. So uh, I, I think in general, it, it not just in regard to this nomination, but in, uh, in reacting to the, uh, the new administration overall, I think people should be cautious and thoughtful and perhaps hold back sometimes when they just want to react on a, on a gut level to, to and, and give expressions. You can have concerns. It's legitimate to be concerned about uh, what, whenever a new administration comes in. But frankly, this week we had real concerns about the old administration.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and, and not to overstate the obvious, but why not if I have the opportunity, um, 99% of these appointments and nominations, of course, end up going through. I, I would say 100, but that's probably inaccurate, right? No,
1: it's not 100%, because uh, you can have, but remember the Republicans have uh, a majority in both houses. Uh, the Democrats would have to be mobilized um, in very significant way in order to, to block uh, a nomination, and certainly have an ambassador. I think when you talk about the um, uh, nomination to the Supreme Court, there you, you would have much more likelihood of of uh, people being roused and members uh, resisting perhaps a, a nomination or filibustering, I, d- I don't see that in regard to
0: ambassador to Israel. Right, and when it comes to the Supreme Court, those turn into you know r- really professional, well-oiled campaigns that uh, you know take on, a li- take on a life of their own, frankly, and dominate the news media nationally. So,
1: but you also have that, let's say, in regard on environmental issues or on other issues uh, where a cabinet member, the guy who's named as secretary. Uh, might arouse an organized uh, opposition because the vested interests are very greater or or policy issues involved uh, affect a broad base of people I I don't think that's the case here and a lot of this is inside baseball again I think some of the terms that were used um, he wouldn't use again and he would probably have preferred that he didn't use them earlier uh, but I think if you go back and check virtually anybody's records these days, you would find disturbing things because with the internet, with all of the means now, everything that anybody said is, is uh, fair game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also know that there's a lot of distortion and misrepresentation in, in charges that are made as we saw uh, ourselves last week.
0: Yeah, no question about it. All right. Well, we'll get to the UN in a second. Let me just Uh, or I say more accurately in a minute or two, let me, let me just do a couple of items from Israel, especially on the heels of what we discussed last week. Uh, So first of all, it does look like there will be some type of extension when it comes to the Amona situation. Um, the the people there are, are hinting, if not being more direct, uh, with their words about their desire to cooperate with Israeli authorities. Uh, the Supreme court is ready to give 45 days and may have already officially given 45 days in terms of an extension, which takes us into February. Uh, I don't know, and I, and I always ask you this, and I don't know if you really have uh, a good feel yet or not. I am, I am just concerned that this is heading to a really tough situation, and even if it keeps continues to get get postponed, we're not going to be able to avoid the inevitable, which is going to be a really bad looking confrontation.
1: I certainly hope that won't be the case. I hope the cooler minds uh, will prevail, and uh, uh, I know it's very emotional, and there are deep concerns, and there again times when this is uh, handled right and others who exploit issues like this for political gain against the prime minister or for themselves that should not be allowed to come into play here they, they have an understanding they should try to uphold that understanding and see to it that they uh, are, are able for everybody's sake you know calling attention to these issues and, and uh, highlighting uh, what they what one side calls stolen t- uh, proper uh, property and um, uh, then becomes universalized and it becomes a whole anti-settlement or anti-shahim uh, issue. It doesn't serve anybody's benefit. The best thing is to find a resolution. They have one. Uh, I think the rule of law is does have to be upheld in, in Israel uh, and concerned for, for the well-being of the people at the same time. So the resolution was accepted and i hope it can be implemented
0: all right and one other thing before we get to the u.n the uh I, i've been reading I uh, i wouldn't say a lot but certainly a couple of articles that the pa reaction if in fact there would be a real embassy move to jerusalem i'm referring of course the u.s embassy uh, to jerusalem that essentially they wouldn't care as much as we think they would do you believe that
1: do i believe that they
0: that, would they, that, that they really wouldn't care if the embassy moved as much as we think they would
1: I think a lot of it has to be about how it's done and uh, uh, what is done. If you, it can be done with sensitivity and understanding that it, it isn't the governments themselves that uh, make care uh, uh, so much as uh, their concern about the street reaction, which can be easily roused. The Palestinians have already threatened and and said every. Uh, embassy of the united states will be closed in an arab capital and you will, can, you can see the situation where there will be massive demonstrations that's not a reason not to do it it's a reason to be concerned about how you do it and there are some very creative options that have been put forward uh, for instance taking you know existing consulate the one in uh, no, no or, or, and putting a shingle up there that it's uh, that says the embassy you, you know ambassador of the united states has an office right. and uh, can function there I think there are interim steps, like not waiving the legislation when it comes up again in a few months, so that uh, the the passport issue, for instance, is resolved or the recognition is there. Uh, again, I think we have to do it in a way that achieves the end we want and doesn't become a, a focal point for for violence and for um, political exploitation. There is no reason why the embassy should not be in West Jerusalem. It should not be controversial. Everybody agrees that that is Israel. And uh, the, the fact that this has become enshrined in some way over the years and that the uh, idea of the, uh, an embassy in, in uh, West Jerusalem would be uh, offensive is really not acceptable. And the 1995 law passed by the United States Congress overwhelmingly uh, and which I hope will be renewed again in the near future, says clearly that United Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. This is where our our, our embassy belongs. And you're not prejudging it if you do some of the things that that uh, some of the options that were uh, put forward.
0: See, I think it's important that we continue to bring it up in this segment. Uh, just to shore up the, the, the you know, that everyone should understand that that as you just said, that this is where it belongs. there's no reason why it shouldn't belong there. Because I know we're heading toward if it does, because, if it does accelerate, you know, and it looks like it's a, the effort's going to happen, I'm sure we're heading toward this major debate in the media, and people might get confused as to whether Israel really should do it or not, whether it's a provocation or not. And I think it's important to remember these points that we bring well,
1: up. Well, the here. conclusion is there that it's a provocation. Right. <laughs> I, I again believe that that less headlines, more action is is appropriate, and then the people domestically take it on, as they do in Israel with almost every issue, becomes a a domestic political issue. Even though they don't think about the ramifications sometimes outside of Israel or for Israel's uh, position, you also have to look at what are your priorities. If all the
0: energy goes into this and to, to, you know, uh, fight. resolution for the united nations what did that resolution say so
1: the resolution itself is uh, a reiter- reiteration of past resolutions ones that were vetoed by the administrations uh, in 2011 it declares the settlement activity as not as illegal it um and that includes, by the way, East Jerusalem, mm-hmm. settlement activity is, they specifically cite East Jerusalem as well, and and then the usual rhetoric attacking Israel for everything, the violations, and the property, uh, taking property, doing anything you can imagine, it's in there. And they, uh, and, and more importantly, it's the process that is, is seen as a violation, that countries and and parties that were committed to direct negotiations can't all of a sudden now support uh, a a resolution which really is the sole intent is to bypass direct negotiations for the Palestinians to achieve what they want by fiat and by resolution and not by the responsibility of having to negotiate where you have to make concessions, where you have to engage directly and and which is the only way that everybody agrees that you can achieve a meaningful uh, peace or or progress towards peace. So the Egypt, in this case, was really put in a bad position because it is the representative of the Arab League on the Security Council. The Arab League gets one seat, and it rotates, and right now it's Egypt that represents the Arab League. Uh, They decided in a vote last week to support this resolution and an unusual move it was dropped very late at night on wednesday uh after the close of business for most people and it and then a vote scheduled for thursday at three o'clock meaning that there was no time for debate it's called blue lining in, right. in un parlance which means you bum rush it through and and the text then gets voted up or down uh, there might have been some minor adjustments but it was not time for a, a real discussion on it the um and it's a very complicated uh, story about all the things that happened, but the bottom line is that President Sisi, who may not have been involved in the process and and, and, and may not have known about what was taking place at the UN, uh, immediately ordered that the resolution be withdrawn, right. which it was. Secretary Kerry had scheduled a press conference for 11.30 yesterday, and then at 11 o'clock canceled it. Uh, I was in touch with his people. and. Uh, he, frankly, at that point, and even today, does not know what the president's final decision was going to be. So people will say that, and there are many, many reports coming from media people, some quoting people in the administration. uh, But I, I don't know that anybody knows for certain, except the president is in a circle about what the intent was. But the reports are that they were going to abstain on this resolution, which would have been a diversion from past practice when he, viol- when he uh, vetoed uh, a similar bill in 2011. So the, the Egyptians so first withdrew it, and then the Arab League met yesterday and did not call for uh, renewing it, resubmitting it, Right, but okay. So it leads to a couple. But wait, of- there's more because the problem is Sweden takes over as the chair of the Security Council in January and said they want to be in charge. And now four other countries, Venezuela, Malaysia, or whatever, are saying who are members of the Security Council said that if you don't introduce us this resolution, we're going to introduce it. So it's not dead. It, it, the Egyptians took a strong stand. I think President Elect Trump interceded. Certainly Netanyahu did. We did. Everybody we met with the egyptians several times over this and with others most people didn't want this thing to come to a fore. the palestinians really pushed it and and forced this issue because they know that uh, after january 20th it's likely there will be no question about what the, right. the action would be in response to
0: it all right but a couple of questions then um if in fact and the way you described it it certainly seems so if in fact this would have had a major effect On future negotiations and it does sound like you're saying it would or it certainly could uh, how is it possible that the United States even considered abstaining from the vote
1: I I, obviously I don't agree that the United States should have we have uh, worked hard that they shouldn't Uh, I I think that it would have been a message of their disapproval of the and, and which they make public all the time of the settlement enterprise in its totality uh, it might have been, you know, the message that we had all been waiting for or feared that the administration w- w- would take uh, either in the form of a speech or a resolution or failing to veto a resolution. Again, we, we don't know for certain that that was the case. Uh, but the very fact that they wouldn't come out clearly and state their opposition their, uh, leads, I think, many people to to the conclusion that, that there might have been an abstention. And, and the fact is that people understand it's not just another resolution, like the 20 we have annual in your General Assembly, when you go to Security Council, there's real consequences. It's a legal uh, uh, resolution that can have uh, both legal and practical implications with sanctions, with uh, um, other uh, possible consequences.
0: All right, so uh, from the CC angle, if he's representing the Arab League and made this move really to satisfy uh, uh, people that Probably don't agree with his political approach right now. I mean, you've described to us a really good relationship with Israel, certainly intelligence-wise, and you know with the prime minister. Uh, he he's gone out of his way uh, to go ahead and uh, you know forge a good relationship with Donald Trump in the short time that you know Trump's been president-elect. Um, you know, so if he went ahead and did this just to satisfy the Arab League, how did he look to the Arab League when he went ahead and postponed it?
1: Well, I think just look at the response. Number one, he postponed, he he withdrew it from the Security Council, saying that Egypt would not, he told his ambassador to pull it back. Number two, the Arab League at its meeting did not overrule him and did not uh, seek the reintroduction of it. And number three, for all of those who who were afraid, reaction in the streets, so far we have not seen... Uh, reaction in the street. There are a lot of threats. There's a lot of, you know, cajoling about about moving the embassy or, or as well as this resolution. But we have not seen, you know, reaction against the, because of it. So um, I, I think that for many people, this is a, a sideshow and of, of little consequence and significance for those who are ideologically or otherwise uh, motivated by extremist views and uh, political agendas. They are the ones this plays out in a very tiny bubble. The um, and and again, I, I just people not say that that uh, you know it's over. It's not over. Right. We don't know until maybe January nineteenth that it, that uh, nothing will happen, and it could happen thereafter with a clear uh, response.
0: Just in your he- tenure. Uh, how many times has this happened? Like, I mean, I'm thinking...
1: You many. Know, we, we worry about it every time. No, the I understand. administrations but, but, have vetoed uh, overall, but not every time.
0: No, but I, I'm asking how many times did a resolution like this on settlements in the last 49 and a half years actually get to the Security Council? Like, a, like a 30 or two? Like, you know, how many times has it actually happened that it even got there to this point? I, I, I
1: can't give you an exact number, but I can tell you that there have been multiple occasions under different administrations where resolutions... That touch on this, or 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 call for Israel to be sanctioned, or because in response, and again because some of the things are done publicly, and because uh, right. uh, you know, there are provocative actions or deemed provocative, but it's it's Israel's presence there that is right. a provocation to most of these people. It's not because of a particular policy or or action. You know, they don't need an excuse to pass a resolution whether in the World Health Organization or elsewhere. Right. The and difference so- is that mm-hmm. the Security Council. Is of a different magnitude
0: and implication. And what does this tell us about President Elect Trump? And again, I'm not I'm not here to Hillary Bash, especially after the election. But the reality is that if we were concerned about what a lame duck president might do in terms of his opinion regarding settlements, if if President Elect Trump was not in the position, do you think it really could have gone in that direction? And we would have seen an abstention from the U.S. if that resolution would have continued.
1: I believe that it's still possible, despite, regardless of uh, President Trump, he doesn't have a vote, he doesn't have any, you say he only can hold sway by calling, uh, let's say, a President C.C. or or giving an indication to others that uh, you're going to end up on the wrong side of a new administration right. uh, by your actions, but... but uh, and this can happen regardless. But a lot and, of times, and I don't know that that Secretary Clinton wouldn't also, if she had been successful, would have opposed it as well, because mm-hmm. no administration wants to begin with this burden. Nobody—they don't want the Democratic Party, uh, and I know this from senators, Democratic senators, with whom we spoke, and they—they they don't want to have uh, this become the identity at a time when you know the relationship of much of, of part of the Jewish community, certainly with the Democratic Party, is very strained, and the. Uh, assessment and, and I don't know why president obama would want to go out of office with his legacy and it is it, it is a statement on many levels if in fact as a as the parting shot this becomes uh, uh that this this thing passes or is allowed is not vetoed and allowed to move ahead in Security council
0: yeah well, unless he wants it to be his legacy who knows like you said only That's he only he in his own head and his inner circle would have a clue as to what he really is thinking at this point,
1: and and may do yet. It's right. it's not. Again, we right. may find out what he was going to do. I know there are a lot of media people who are saying it, but I haven't found anybody from who, who actually knows. But very credible people, very important leader last night told me that uh, he had heard from uh, people in Washington that uh, what they were going to do. But I can tell you that Secretary Kerry and I know this. I would say for a fact, but you never know that there are facts in Washington. Uh, did not know as of as the what the president was going to tell him to do at the press conference that he canceled.
0: Right, understood. Um, not not to minimize the enormity of an assassination, you know, in and of itself, but from a political standpoint, how do we view the Russian ambassador's assassination in Turkey? And in terms of the political scene, how do we uh, how do we view uh, that episode?
1: Well, the the reaction has actually been contained, and especially by uh, Putin, who was very angry about it. And this is the first time, I think, a Russian ambassador in 100 years, or even more, maybe 200 years, was was assassinated in this way. Uh, Political killings are not unusual. They happen. But coming within the context of of Turkish-Russian relations. Uh, But so far, they don't seem to have uh, acted against it. You know, both Turkey and Russia blamed that terrorists for it, uh, it's it is a sensitive, uh, very sensitive issue. Reaction in in Russia was uh, uh, was very strong, and the um, um, the statements that that emerged certainly the uh, those by the uh, Kremlin, but at the same time they moved ahead with the three way meeting of Turkey, Iran, and Russia on. Uh, Syria, with no United States participation, and no Assad participation, which tells you who today is calling the shots. <clears throat> so, Who likely it,
0: called for the assassination of the ambassador?
1: Well, it could be, and it, so far it seems that this guy is a, uh, it just did this. Uh, there, there are other things that are happening also in reaction to, you know, the Russians being so visible in, uh, in Syria, even though their role is really secondary in a military level, aside from the fact that they got, uh, and I heard they have no more than 36 planes operating in Syria and no ground troops, yet they became the, the, the dominant voice, now being challenged and surpassed by Iran as the dominant voice together with Hezbollah and its militias, and, and they are, um, I think, going to play the, an outsized role in the uh, post conflict uh, syria if there is ever an end to the conflict but certainly even today so russia uh, is is uh, establishing its footprint it's not going to get out of syria when this is over it is looking at other areas where it can impose itself and and be a player and the fact is that countries wanting to resolve issues in the middle east are going to moscow not to washington and that may change now under the new administration. They, they look at the, what we saw this week where Iran announced that they're going to start using, going from IR-1 centrifuges to IR-8. When the State Department put out a, a fact sheet at the time of the passage of the, the agreement, the Iran deal, they said that they will not be able to use IR-2468. These are the centrifuges. Just to get understanding, the IR-8. Is twenty times faster enriching uranium than the IR-1 that they were supposed to be using. So we see the constant violations. The, the, for ten years, they were not supposed to be able to use the more advanced. Um, and the, although we gave permission to do uh, research on it, which we shouldn't have. So, so the and 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 the deputy commanders of the army are sa- making statements, threatening other countries in the region, talking about the, you know the next steps in this. Uh, drive for hegemony in, in the region. This is the Persian Empire view, as opposed to the Ottoman Empire view, which we are coming from, the, from uh, Turkey. There are clashes, there are inherent clashes, but right now there's a common interest uh, in, uh, for, for instance, Turkey in getting rid of the PKK off its borders. Uh, they're fighting together in, in some cities, and that they're still fighting against each other in others.
0: Um, I'd love to know who's responsible for alerting the administration in Washington when these violations are taking place. <laughs> I would guess someone actually. does. Sometimes it's you, I think. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes nobody well, says sometimes anything. Sometimes it is right. But
1: they have people. They have enough? There are enough people on the ground. There are no secrets about what's happening, and the outrageous lack of reaction and the the indifference to the deaths of half a million people to the to all of this, and yet, what is the Security Council? involve itself with that silly resolutions ridiculous resolution but no resolution against syria no resolution against the massacres that are taking place no resolutions about ISIS burning the turkish soldiers alive or the taking of, of civilian hostages and the killings that are going on each day c- conducted and the, the war crimes being committed every
0: day by each of these parties and you have no trouble believing the numbers correct in the hundreds of thousands for sure Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt about it. But there are millions and millions of displaced,
1: and 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 just look at what what happened in in Aleppo, and and the fact that the the government has reasserted control, although they did lose Palmyra. Uh, but it's not the Syrian army; it's taking over. It's Hezbollah. It's the Iranian backed militias. They are doing a population exchange. They're removing these Sunnis and putting in, uh, uh, in Shiite families from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from other places. I mean, this is
0: you're seeing massive changes to which almost no reaction is there anybody screaming about this at the u.n is there any country taking on this cause i can't
1: say that that, well i mean people have spoken about it the united states ambassador others have have talked about the the horrific things that are going on but you don't see any any action you don't see any uh you know you see the criticisms that are leveled against people when when um uh, you look at virtually every place in the Middle East, there's no country that today isn't facing a challenge, an existential challenge, from inside or outside. Egypt is fighting in the Sinai against uh, ISIS. We see that Hamas is, again, pr- allowing them to treat the, to, to bring their wounded soldiers, but also to have it as a transfer point for weapons to them. Um, the Muslim Brotherhood is, is in a sort of state of recovery, and we saw it with the attack on the Coptic church in, in, uh, in Egypt. And, and on the Egyptian policemen, uh, even though ISIS made late claim, but the belief is that it's the Muslim Brotherhood. In, in any event, you have so many of these things. And what is the focus? On, on the on the settlements on the on the West Bank. Well, of course. There is a, a, a clear uh, level of hypocrisy, and, but the price for this, nothing is going to be the same when this is over, if it's ever over. This is not... It, it, it is not going to go back to status quo ante. And the uh, changes that are are going to continue to happen, because the, this re- revolution is in its early stages. And we saw it again in, in Yemen this week. We've seen it in other places where um, the, the forces are, are at play. This is a really serious uh, thing, and that's why you cannot show weakness. Palestinians, as the Khalid Abu toman said, they see it as, 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 as concessions, as a sign of weakness they see that that every time that they can get away without uh, with the incitement and with paying for the, the terrorists and all of that and still get away with it the price is being paid everywhere when when France deploys 10,000 troops within the country now 10,000 additional troops have their army inside the country trying to protect the uh, institutions and and uh, and it's true across Europe. Uh, we saw this horrific attack in, in, Berlin. in uh, Berlin. You know, these things are not unrelated, and, and, you, and we know who's behind a lot of it. So, the, the, you know, this, the, it, it, it's almost unbelievable, and, and it's, if I sound frustrated, it's because it is very frustrating to see that the, um, uh, the, the, the level of denial, the misplaced attention and focus... And the, the tragedies, the human tragedies that are taking place, you know, there was a study done that most Arabs in Israel want to integrate into Israeli society. 23% of Israeli doctors are Arabs. 46% of Israeli pharmacists. 73% see Israeli as part of their identity. They don't want it to be necessarily a Jewish state, but, but look at where the, the most stable Arab population would be. There are uh, almost 600 Arab teachers in Jewish schools and 60 Jewish teachers in Arab schools. Nobody will ever say anything about that. Nobody talks about the treatment of, of Syrians in, in Israel. While the rest of the Arab world, let alone the world is large, is indifferent to the suffering of, of uh, Syrians. And then they put pressure that Israel should take more uh, refugees, and Israel is looking at how they can uh, provide more assistance
0: I'm sure you saw the numbers in terms of how many thousands Israel has treated from Syria over the last year. I
1: have been there. I went to the border. I saw, I actually saw it take place. I saw young Israelis, how big soldiers, they risk their lives. They they go in and and help bring out these kids who are wounded or adults who are wounded. I saw it there, and and the numbers in the thousands, it's not a, a small thing, and it's every single day virtually that, that more of them come and people are are treated, and they can't publicize, they can't show it, but they certainly can go to the hospitals and you can see the people, they're there. And uh, as you said, you know, it only becomes a subject for more condemnation.
0: And I was going to ask you on the other issue about the ISIS responsibility for the attack in Berlin, and and by the way, uh, I think President-elect Trump actually said it before they took responsibility for it, which I thought was pretty gutsy, Uh, but I guess these days to some people it's just obvious. Uh, and I was going to ask you why Berlin, but I guess you essentially answered the question. That it, it's essentially everywhere. <laughs> it could be Berlin, or it could be anywhere else. Whether it's Europe, do or... you remember the bus, the the, the
1: the truck driver who did the sure. same thing in Paris and sure. in, in in France? And you've seen it elsewhere. Yeah. It's it's happening, and and we don't know all the things that are prevented both here and and, and in other uh, countries.
0: Uh, Hanukkah begins tomorrow night. Um, the the uh... The few were able to prevail over the many, and in many cases, it seems that we're getting a repeat of that, uh, you know, thousands of years later. What are your thoughts as we enter this uh, holiday of Hanukkah?
1: It's hard to get into the spirit, but we have to, and we have to teach the real lessons of Hanukkah, which are not the presence, they're nice, but that's not the essence of Hanukkah. Uh, it's the few overcoming the many, indeed, But it, and of course the vial of oil, but Look at what the discoveries that were announced just in the last couple of days. They found a coin uh, in the city of David, by chance, uh, that had the picture of Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, who was the Antiochus of the uh, story of the Maccabees, with his picture on it, and on the back uh, a goddess. Then, um, and and this was a, a, a penny coin, and it might have been from the salary of the soldier that was enlisted to fight against and the, the lay siege on, on Jerusalem. They, um, and then they found a, a fragment of a chalk bowl, and Jews used chalk bowls because they, were, um, they, they, they didn't become impure in the same way, so they were for ritual purposes. And uh, it had in Hebrew the name Hyrcanus. In block letters. And he was the ruler 2,100 years ago. This was from the story of the Hashmonaim, from the story of the Maccabees. And this bowl, there were two Jewish uh, kings named Hyrcanus, and supposedly there was a Greek name that they adopted. Others say, no, it comes from the city that they they descended from. But here in this little postage stamp, Place at the city of David at Ir David with these excavations yielding every all the time, but especially to see these things now when people may not believe or people think that things you know we have so much false news now that people ascribe it to everything. Here you have proof, proof that is irrefutable. You you find it. You can debate you know the exact uh, relevance or, or uh, history of it, but. There's no d- debating when you find a coin like that about what it's, it, it, the significant message to us is. And that is, to, when we look back, we remember the stories. You saw the courage. You saw the heroism. And even if the ultimate outcome wasn't what we wanted, they showed that when they stood up, Milan Shem Eli, that they were able to overcome. It was the few, as always, the pure over the impure. It, it was the righteous over the wicked. That was the real victory. And today, in this world, where we see so much evil, and we see so many people manipulating the situation, fake news, even in the Jewish media, having fallen victim to it, where people are are taking the news and and editorializing in the news, and that truth becomes uh, a rare commodity uh, too often, uh, that we look back to be reminded and, and... those who have doubts about about standing up at the right time and, and having the courage to pursue your beliefs, that's the message.
0: It certainly is. Uh, we'll spend Chanukah uh, and Rosh Chodesh together. Malcolm Holline will join us one week from today for the next installment of the weekly update. I take this opportunity to wish you a very happy and wonderful Hanukkah and have a uh, wonderful Shabbos as well.
1: And to good job and to all, everybody, really a wonderful Hanukkah. And may we all hear only good news.
0: i Maine. And Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. This time-